0: 29 AD, there was one about to change the world. Fully man, fully God, Jesus. Next to him was a friend who witnessed everything. He saw early miracles, he sat at his right hand, his own eyes saw Jesus transfigured, the very heart of Christ was poured out to him and he was there at the cross on the day history was altered. These are the words and the story of John. Guys, as I reflected on what was happening in this lesson this week, I stepped back a little bit and realized that since chapter 12 up till now, and all through chapter 17, we're looking at the last week of Jesus's life. This is his last week, and he's with his men in these chapters. He's with his closest friends in these chapters, and we're hearing his words in these last days, and oh my gosh, these words matter, you guys. Have you ever thought about what you would do with the last week of your life? This chapter really pushed me on that a lot, more than I really thought it would. I I was honestly hung up on the persecution when I first dug into this, and then I started praying, and then all of a sudden I started hearing God say, what would you do with the last week of your life? What would you do with the last week of your life, Bill? I'm 60 years old, you guys, and according to statistics, statistics, I've got 15 years left to live. Men die at 75. Men, when your kids are having kids, like my kids are right now, and you leave the workplace like I have, there's something that happens, and there's something that feels like you're done, like you're finished. You've completed the task, and maybe the world doesn't quite need you anymore, and it scares you. I'll just be real with you. It scares you. You start getting a little bit depressed and thinking, wow, is there really anything left for me? I prayed hard this week because I was feeling that and I was asking God to do one thing and that was to reorganize my life. I wanna live my last years, my last 15, if that's what it is, as if it's my last week. I want every day to look like it's my last week and the Holy Spirit impressed on me. One of the things he's wanting me to do and it was so cool because it gave me so much energy. I got so jacked when I heard him. And he's like, I want you to fill your grandchildren with me. I want your grandkids to be filled with me, and you're the one that's going to do it, so get about it. And I'm like, yes, heck yeah, I'm that guy. And you know what I did? I didn't ask my son, Kyle, if I could or not. I just did it. I texted his wife and said, I want to make a uh, date with your daughter, Annie. She's my oldest granddaughter. She's going to be three. And we went back and forth, and we booked it for Wednesday at 1 p.m. in perpetuity. You guys know how excited I am. Just the thought of that has brought me so much energy. It has brought me so much of a sense of purpose, so much of a sense of purpose. And this is what Jesus was doing in his last week, He's wanting to give his men this sense of purpose. You have a purpose. You have a calling. I'm going to empower you. I want you to know what to do. This is my last week. I'm not mixing words. Let me be clear. This is what he's doing with these guys. In John 12-17, through 17, Jesus living out this last week. These are the best chapters of the book of the Bible, in my opinion, because Jesus is talking to his friends. These Words are packed, dense, full of Jesus's words, not somebody else's, his, his words. And they're written by John, who was the closest man next to him. So he's pouring his heart into these guys to prepare him. Remember the week started with a banquet with his friends, and then he was anointed with oil, and then he's hailed as a king to walk in Jerusalem. And then next week, two weeks from now, we're going to see him die on a cross, you guys. In his time frame, it was only, it's Thursday night in his time frame. He's having this meal with his friends. It's Thursday night. It's his last meal. It's his last meal. And he says, okay, now we're going to move. We're going to get up and go. Let's go, you guys. Tonight in John 16, he tells them, you're going to be hated and killed for following me. Can you imagine that message? Can you imagine telling that to your family? You're laying on your deathbed and you're like, you're gonna be killed because of me. I just want you to know that. If you follow me, that's what's gonna happen. That's what he had to tell him. And then he repeats what he said earlier that night. I'm gonna send you my Holy Spirit. He told him that earlier tonight, and he says it again, and he explains it in more detail. And then he says again, you need to learn to pray. I'm telling you, you need to learn to pray. Tonight, we're gonna learn about the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're gonna learn about how to pray. So let me ask you this. So how do you use what Jesus, how do we go about using what Jesus gave these men? What do we do with this? What's, this content was given to us as well. How do we use it? Here's four thoughts. We must realize we will experience trauma from the death of our loved ones. We're going to, you guys. These men felt trauma when Jesus died. We must realize we're gonna suffer persecution when we're obedient to Jesus. When you're not obedient, no persecution. When you're obedient, persecution. We must recognize the Holy Spirit is living inside us. He's in us. For you men in this room who have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's living inside of you now. You're a temple for him. And then we must learn to pray with intensity and with focus and with passion. And my prayer tonight for you is this, that you will be compelled to do whatever it takes tonight to start to develop a dependence on the Holy Spirit that will help you and your family get prepared because you need to be prepared. In John 15 through 18, 15, 18 through 16, 4, there's this whole section of persecution. Jesus tells his men how the world will treat them. Listen to what he says. The world's gonna hate you. The world's going to persecute you. The world will put you out of your synagogue. And you guys, the synagogue was not just their church, it was their community. It's where their life was sustained. It's how they they made a living. This is where all their friends were. And he's saying, you're going to be put out of your synagogue. You'll be alone. The world will then kill you and believe it's a service to God. This is what's going to happen to you. And it's going to happen to you because you're a follower of mine. This is what he tells him in no uncertain terms. And I ask myself, why? Why did these people hate Jesus so much? Why? Here's the story. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. This was number one. This was the first thing he did wrong. He healed on the Sabbath. He violated the Sabbath. He did miracles that attracted thousands of people. They didn't want him to attract thousands of people. He healed, fed the poor, and raised people from the dead. Nobody raised people from the dead. He did. He told people they had to believe in him to be saved. And then he said, by the way, the laws and sacrifices you keep doing, they're not going to forgive your sins. That doesn't work anymore. You have to believe in me, I'm your Messiah, and I will take away your sins. And then he revealed that he was God. That was a big problem for these folks. The tribe of Judah, the very tribe that he was from, they experienced all this, they heard it, they saw it, they watched it, and they said, they came to this conclusion, you need to die for those things, you need to die. The very tribe he was from, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, were Judean. Jesus was Judean. They were his family, and they said, you need to die. They didn't believe any of it. Jesus makes it clear to us, if we love him, we must obey and follow him. We must do the same things he did. The ones I just described, heal, teach, tell. Describe Jesus as God. Tell him he's Messiah. Tell people that their sins can't be forgiven that way, only this way. There's only one way to heaven, it's through him. We're to do exactly what he did. That's what we're called to do. And if we do that, we will be persecuted and possibly killed. Here's the good news from the world, the gospel from the world. If we don't do what he did, we won't be persecuted. Life will be comfortable. In fact... We can be in a church every week and do absolutely nothing and be incredibly safe. Sadly, that's the path most of us choose. Most of us aren't persecuted because we do very little of what Jesus said to do. We often avoid hard conversations with people who oppose oppose Jesus. Ask yourself, when was the last time I spoke to someone who hates Jesus? When was it? We avoid those people. When was the last time you defended a biblical truth? And when was the last time you tried to bring an unsaved person to Jesus Christ? When was that? Those might give you an indicator that maybe you really are doing nothing, and so persecution isn't happening at all to you. The apostle Paul told a young man named Timothy this. He said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All will be persecuted. So, have all people really been persecuted Have tried to serve Jesus throughout the last 2,000 years, or were Jesus and Paul just talking to their disciples? Well, let me answer that. History has documented this quite well, you guys. Persecution started with the death of Jesus Christ, clearly not guilty, and died a completely sinless man. And then his apostles, 10 of the 11 were killed, only John was not martyred. John died a natural death from what we can tell, but the rest were all martyred and martyred brutally. Persecution was widespread in 300 AD. Widespread. Christians were being burned on crosses, fed to lions. This was going on through thousands of Christians died through this time frame. And persecution continued through every single century and in every single culture where Christians went. David Barrett at Voice of the Martyrs estimated that 70 million believers have died since the time of Jesus Christ, 70 million. Today, international persecution puts over 350 million people globally at risk every single day. 8,000 to 100,000, depending on how you count the deaths are, being, uh, are happening of Christians every single year. Countries like North Korea, Afghanistan, Nigeria, and India are all in the top 10 of the most lethal countries in the world, and by far the most killings are being done by Muslims of Christians. In all these countries, Christians are being killed because groups of people believe Christians are the cause of serious social problems. This is what they're thinking. You are a problem to the culture, and so you need to die. You're disruptive to what we do and you need to die. It's good for us to get rid of you. That's what they believe. And so yes, Jesus said and Paul said, you will be persecuted and they were exactly right. What they said would happen indeed has happened. Now most of us believe that that can't happen in the United States. We believe the United States is still living with a moral constitution and a moral set of laws. We all believe that. But laws are being strategically changed right now through culture pressure orchestrated by academia, media, and politicians. 54% of Americans see religious liberty declining dramatically, and 59% say Christians are experiencing high levels of intolerance. So this is just a survey of just the average guy seeing that. Numerous people have lost jobs, promotions, income, and their business because of public prayer stances against abortion for rejecting same-sex ideology and for most recently not taking a vaccine our sexual ideo- our sexual liberty ideology killed 62 million unborn babies since 1973 that was an ideology of sexual liberty pushed on our country once the majority of the Americans believed that sexual liberty is more important than freedom of religion Christians will experience a much higher intense form of persecution. Let me say it again. Once the majority of Americans believe that sexual liberty is more important than freedom of religion, Christians will start to experience a much higher and more intense form of persecution. My guess is that's less than a decade away. And just as the Christians throughout time in every culture have been persecuted, Americans will be persecuted, mark my words. Just look at how the shots have been handled, COVID has been handled. Look at what's happened with all the race issues. Look what's happened with sexual liberty, you guys. Just open your eyes and look around. America is not free. That's gone. That's not what's going on anymore. And Christians are in the crosshairs of that liberty. Jesus did not promote rebellion or violence when he experienced intense persecution. So this is the, the problem. What do I do? That's what we're all asking, what do I do? Jesus did not promote rebellion or violence when he experienced intense persecution. When Peter tried to kill a guard, he pulled a sword, tried to kill him, he cut off his ear, he was terrible with it. Jesus said, don't do that. Probably because he was bad with the sword anyway, he's probably gonna miss again. So he said, put the sword away, don't do that. He didn't tell his men to follow a path of violence. He did not do that. He said, do not do that. What he did was prepare him for him. Now, how did he prepare him for him? He said, I want you to be centered on the power of the Holy Spirit. My Holy Spirit will come inside of you, and he will empower you to do what? To testify to who I am. And your death will testify to who I am. Nothing spreads the seed of the faith faster than the death of a martyr. Jesus wants us to die for him, not kill others for him. We cannot accomplish this type of life on our own ability, guys, we cannot do it. We are naturally afraid and we will find other ways to get out of doing that. For that kind of work, we must dramatically increase our dependency on the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a hard question. How would you compare your your proficiency obeying the Holy Spirit compared to your proficiency, say, In your career your hobbies and for some of us our handguns how proficient are you at listening and obeying the Holy Spirit compared to other things you're proficient in Jesus understood the emotional trauma his death would have on his men and the impact of being rejected by the Jewish culture he knew he knew he could feel the pain and so Jesus again with these men to find the Holy Spirit and how he would help them listen to this This is the heart of his message to these guys. This is the heart of a message of a man who's going to die and he knows his friends are going to suffer immensely through the rest of their life. Here's what he wants him to hear. I am sending you the Holy Spirit. You will be better off when I leave. Wow. He had to leave. Why? So the Spirit could come. Jesus had to die. He had to be resurrected. And he had to go to the Father. Why? So that he could cleanse us of our sin, and then the Spirit could live inside of us. Without the cleansing of our sin, the Holy Spirit could not come inside, but once it did, once we were cleansed of sin, once our tabernacle was free of sin, by the death and the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, now I can live in all of you at the same time, and watch what I can do. That's way better than me walking around Judea one guy at a time. Woo!" Giddy up, game on. That's what happened, you guys. Jesus, in Ephesians 1, Paul says, the moment that you believe, Jesus deposits the Holy Spirit inside of you. John 15 says, Jesus said, if you obey me, which is believe in me, my Father and I will come and we will make our home with you. Jesus said specifically, when you believe in me, I'm gonna deposit the Holy Spirit in you and that means my whole family's right there living with you, man. Your temple is ready, you're locked and loaded, you are empowered, it's time to go. Game on, Jesus leaving made it possible for everyone to live with him now. You are not weak, you are empowered with God inside of you right now, gentlemen. And that Holy Spirit empowers our prayers. Jesus said, pray for anything in my name and the Father will give it to you, anything. And we all thought, well, what's that, man? I really could use a new car, right? Like a truck would be nice. and he's like, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, listen to this, the Holy Spirit knows your heart because he's living in there. He knows your heart, not your selfish side, your heart. And he prays for what you need, not what you want. How do we know that? In Romans, Paul taught us As He said, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You can be selfish in your prayer and God's like, no, that's not what you want. I know that. I got the Holy Spirit. He's in there. He sees your heart. You just got that all confused. I know what you need. And God answers those prayers that the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf. And oftentimes you don't even see it because you don't know that's what He prayed for. That's pretty cool. Jesus said, you're going to bear witness to me. You're empowered now to bear witness for me. Jesus fills us so that we can withstand persecution, and the withstanding of the persecution is a witness all of its own. When somebody's pounding you, and they're cursing you, and they're attacking you, and you take it, the Holy Spirit is empowering you, and that's speaking to Jesus. It's declaring to that person, that guy's been with Jesus. The Spirit also enables the words of, of, of his followers. Mark 13, 11 says, when they arrest you, do not worry what you're going to say. The words you speak will be the Holy Spirit. His, Jesus empowers us when we testify to speak his name. The Holy Spirit speaks words we don't even know that are coming out of our mouth. He puts sentence together you didn't even write on the page. He makes logic come together you can't even comprehend. He puts ideas in your mind that have never been there before because you're testifying for Jesus Christ. And if you say, wow, that's crazy cool. I don't think I know what it feels like to have the Holy Spirit inside of me. Could you tell me what that's like? I am said, you know why? Because you've never testified for the name of Jesus. Get up. Go talk about Jesus as somebody and the Holy Spirit will well up inside of you and then you're gonna feel it and then you're gonna come back and go, now nah, I know what that feels like, Bill. Yes, you do. You stand up and speak for him and he will speak on your behalf. His words come out. Open your mouth, stand before him. He's inside of you. And he said, that's the kind of power I've given you. Stop with the manby-pamby man stuff. You are not built that way. That's not what he wants. Stand up and you speak. When somebody says, this is what I think the truth is, you can say, I love you, I love you, but that's not the truth. That's not the truth. Let me tell you what the truth is. His name is Jesus, and this is what he came to do. He doesn't save like that, he saves like this. That's a sin, that's not right. This is right, Jesus says that's wrong. And I love you, by the way. That's why I'm telling you. That's a big difference, isn't it? That's how we do it, you guys. The Holy Spirit, not us, will convict the world. When we testify, we don't have to convict. That's not our job. You don't have to stand there and argue for an hour. You speak the words of Jesus for a couple of minutes and you're done. Now the Holy Spirit's going, thank you very much, my turn. Please get out of the way, Bill. You got too many stinking words. I got it from here, right? You overdo it when you talk too much. Shut up and let him go to work. Tell him the truth and move on. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict not you. We're called to speak and let him do his job. And we're called to speak out against what? Wrong worldviews, that's what this text said. He says he's gonna convict you of sin and being right and judgment. Jesus is like, the problem with the world is they have the wrong views on sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I am going to pound that to him. This is what the Jews hated. They're like, what do you mean? Our sacrifices don't remove sin? He said, no, you still sin, you're a sinner. The only thing that can remove it is me. And they said, that's impossible. And he's like, exactly. I'm trying to convict you of the very thing you don't understand. And that's what Jesus said. He fixes wrong worldviews. He convicts of wrong worldviews. You have to challenge him, though. You have to speak. God says we have to speak. We had to speak when abortion was wrong. And daggone it, it's been going long enough, and we finally got heard. And we finally got heard, right? Somebody said, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And that's what we're called to do, you guys. We're to speak the truth. Tell it like it is, just as Jesus tells us, we are to be the witnesses to the world. And then the Holy Spirit will point to Jesus, always. He always does. When you're speaking on behalf of Christ and the Holy Spirit's inside of you, He always points to Jesus. He points to Jesus. First John 4, 1 says, test every spirit. And what did He mean? I've been to so many churches where there's people sweating and screaming and flopping all over the floor and, and hey, Jesus, you know, hey, and, you know it's just a show. It's a circus. And you're like, what's going on? What the heck is going on? And they're like, we're filled with the spirit. And you're like, no, you're not. It's all about you. All I can look at is you. I, I'm not thinking of Jesus. There's no Jesus on my mind. It's this circus show you got going on. And Jesus is like, that's exactly right. Test those spirits because they're not of me. My spirit always points to me. It says, that's Jesus, that's Jesus. His name is Jesus, and it draws you to him, and that's how you know. It's easy to spot, you guys. You don't have to be fooled when you're like, what's going on here, and you're like, is is Jesus being displayed? If it's no, that's not Jesus. It's that simple, and that's the Holy Spirit teaching you so that you can understand a fake when you see it. He teaches us the truth about Jesus also when the culture's trying to tell us something different. People are actually trying to rewrite our Bibles right now, you guys. Literally, they're changing the words in the Bible to take out all kinds of things to point to something else. All the the things that have uh, he and she in it, God the Father, they're trying to remove all of that stuff. And Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will show you when that's false, when that's not right. It'll show you and you'll know that that's being forged and the culture's trying to change what I told you. He's also going to tell us that what we forget, he's going to remind us. When you forget it, he's going to remind you. When you. When's he going to remind you? When you need it. Not when you're showing off. Not when you're being the big scripture guy in your group and you're trying to show off your stuff and that like, yeah, guy, I got these memory verses and all. He's like, nah, I ain't going to remind you then. I'm going to make you show up stupid. When you're standing there in front of a group and you need my words, I'm going to remind you those words are going to come crystal clear to your mind. In the last place, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to comfort us with his words and his promises. You know, if you don't know Jesus' words and you don't know his promises, the Holy Spirit's gonna have a hard time comforting you, isn't he? So you have to know his words. His disciples spent three years with him and he said, the Spirit will come to remind you of what I said. Guys, if you're not reading your Bible, how can the Holy Spirit remind you of what Jesus said? When you come here and you don't do your lesson, you're cheating yourself of an opportunity to hear Jesus speak directly to you every single day. He wants to talk to you, but you chose not to. And so now the Holy Spirit's like, well, I didn't have anything to work with because you just decided this week you weren't going to touch your Bible at all. So I couldn't remind you anything because you don't remember it. Guys, you got to read your Bible so that Jesus can remind you what he says. Jesus makes it clear in this upper room discourse that the Holy Spirit will be critical, critical to the life of his believers. And just knowledge of the future is not enough, you guys. It's not enough. Jesus told the disciples after his resurrection to wait for the Holy Spirit. And 15 days after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit did in fact come and gave them power to follow him through intense persecution. And we've got to be like those men, dramatically dependent on the Holy Spirit. In the revelation of Jesus, he uh, he says this Jesus says this He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says. How can you hear the Holy Spirit? How well are you hearing the Holy Spirit? Are you hearing the Holy Spirit? How much of your life every day is being impacted by the Holy Spirit? How do we become dramatically more dependent on the Holy Spirit? You have to read your Bible. You have to spend time with Jesus so he can remind you of what he said. You have to read your Bible. And then, and then, you've got to learn how to pray. And it's gotta be anywhere, anytime. Like you literally gotta be moving along in life. And here's my best suggestion for you. I'm asking you if you do it tomorrow morning, get up tomorrow morning and sit at the side of your bed and say, Jesus, I'm not asking for anything except that you show me how I can serve you today. And the first thing that comes to your mind will be something the Holy Spirit tells you. And I dare you to do it. Just do it, whatever it is, as crazy as it may seem. Do it, and that's the pattern in your life that will cause you to start to hear the Holy Spirit because all of a sudden, when you do that, you're gonna see the fruit of that, and then you're gonna do it again. And you won't do it on the edge of your bed, you'll do it in the middle of a road while you're driving. You won't do it on the edge of your bed, you'll do it at work when you're standing and you're like, what do I do? Holy Spirit, tell me what to do, and then He tells you, and you start to hear His voice. And it gets very familiar and you start to get very confident in serving him because you do it over and over and over again and tonight before you go to bed confess your sins because if you don't when you wake up and pray that prayer tomorrow all of your sinful behavior will block the holy spirit because you'll be so guilty you won't be thinking anything except feeling the guilt of your sin from the night before so confess your sins tonight before you go to bed just sit there and say lord i'm sorry show me what i did i know I've, I, I want to confess and then forgive people who hurt you before you go to bed literally you're hurt by somebody I give, almost every day we get hurt by somebody forgive them tonight forgive them because it will block the holy spirit it will block the holy spirit guys there's other things you got to do tomorrow when you get ready to pray you have to stop listening to media you have to turn it off your head is so clouded with noise you can't hear anything You honestly can't. And the last thing you're going to hear is the whisper of the Holy Spirit. He's not a big mouth. He's not like me. He's quiet. He's quiet. Turn off all of the stinking media, the radio, the TV, the social media. Your phone is like the devil in your hand. It literally is. The devil just owns that thing. He's like, yeah, pick it up one more time. Pick it up one more time. One more time. Grab it again. Grab it again. Grab it again. Grab that little devil. He's always there. Keeping you from hearing the Holy Spirit, stop looking at all the stinking social media and die to yourself. Die to yourself. Give up your plan. Stop planning. Stop planning. Stop planning. Stop planning and say, no, no, no. Today, this day, I'm waiting for you, Holy Spirit. What do you want me to do? I'm here to serve you. And listen and listen and then do. This is how you start to hear the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you listened to the Holy Spirit and did what he told you to do? When was the last time? I had it happen two nights ago. I was exchanging text messages with a group of guys in here, that are in a heart group, and one of the guys in the room here, he's going to be familiar with this, and he said something about some food he was eating, and I made a snarky remark about his weight. And about 20 minutes later, I, I, I was literally, I wrote it, didn't think anything, threw my phone on the ground. About 20 minutes later, it was like, It was like a truck hit me, and I was overwhelmed with guilt, like just just hammered with guilt. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, what did I do? What did I do wrong? And that went on for like three hours. I couldn't figure it out. And I'm laying in bed, just laying there, and it's three in the morning. I'm like, Lord, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And finally, it was like text message. Go read that text message. So it's like three in the morning. I pick up my phone. I'm like, oh, oh. That was mean. And so I wrote an apology note to that guy. And then he responded in the morning when he got up with a heart and said, I forgive you. And I'm telling you guys, it was like, like I had just won the lottery. I honestly could tell you, I've never felt so good and so forgiven by one little exchange. But the Holy Spirit was talking to me. And I listened. It took a while. But I listened. I listened. This lesson was like that for me as well. I started in this lesson, I honestly thought I was going to focus on persecution and I was really convicted that that's where I was going to go. But something happened in my study time and something hit me and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, no, you need to think about your death. You need to think about your death. What's going to happen to the people in your life when you die? Do you care? And I really started getting, I I got sad. And I thought, wow. Susie and I celebrated 34 years together this last week, 34 years of marriage. And I thought, if I died, what would happen to her? And i got to tell you guys, I was overwhelmed with sadness. Overwhelmed with sadness. And I thought, I don't think I've done my very best to get my wife ready for that. I just don't think I have. So I asked God, I said, show me how. Show me how we can do it together. How do we hear your spirit? So if something happens to me, my wife will do well. And the Holy Spirit will be there to comfort her and to guide her through that time. Help me. Show me how to do it well, Lord. And so we took a long walk this week. We haven't done that in a while. And this was our conversation. And we talked about it. What have you done to help your family to become dependent on the Holy Spirit? Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. Lord, I ask, Lord, please, we need your Holy Spirit. We're so distracted. We're so off target. We're so missing the power you've poured into us because we just don't listen to you. Father, I'm begging you that these men tonight will move into a different place, and they'll get quiet, and they'll get still, and they'll let your Spirit talk, and then they'll rise up with power, and they'll move out with confidence knowing that they're serving you because you spoke to them, Lord. Help them hear your Holy Spirit tonight, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.